first chapter of the book of Acts. So if you just find Acts, you've found our scripture. And if you need a little more help, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 1690. I want to talk to you this morning about something that I haven't talked about nearly enough. I'm at that point in life where I'm beginning to do some reflection about where I've been and where I still need to go in terms of my life as a minister and as a pastor of this church. And I realize that I preach all the time about Christmas, several weeks a year. I preach a lot about Easter, several weeks a year. But I have spoken very little about the ascension of Jesus Christ. And I want to spend some time there this morning. Because we tend to think of Christmas and Easter as the bookends of Jesus' ministry. But they're not. Easter is not the end of his time here on this earth. The Bible tells us that he spent 40 more days on this earth after his resurrection. Before he ascended into heaven. Ascension Day is the 40th day after Easter, which means it's this Thursday. May 25th is Ascension Day. Did anybody know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> I don't have a calendar that has that. Uh, if I hadn't stopped to think about it, I would not have known that this Thursday was Ascension Day. So that's why I want to talk about it this morning. Because it's important to know that not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but he rose from this earth. I call it the second rising of Jesus. Acts 1. In my former book, Theophilus, let me stop there a minute. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke 
I didn't get very far, did I? <laughs> I got about five words. That's, I think I violated some rule of preacher school. You should read more than five words of Scripture before you stop and comment. But I realize not all of you would know that the former book is the Gospel of Luke. So I wanted to make sure you knew that. Now, we can read the Scripture. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Luke begins his account of the ascension with an interesting statement. He said, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now when I hear that word began, I'm thinking of something that is not finished yet. It's been begun, but it's not yet finished. But on the cross... Jesus declared, it is finished. So why does Luke say that what Jesus did and taught has only begun when Jesus declared it finished? Had to ponder that a bit. And I realized the answer to that question hinges on what it means. When Jesus says, it is finished, what is it that is finished? And what Jesus is talking about is what I call the saving work of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. He took our sins upon himself. He died for our sins. He took those sins to the grave and then he rose and left them behind. So that our sins can be forgiven and we can receive his righteousness and be able to have a relationship with our Father in heaven. That is the saving work of Jesus and that work is finished on the cross. There is nothing else that needs to be done by anyone in order for me to have salvation through Jesus Christ. There's nothing that needs to be added. There should be nothing taken away. 
the saving work of Jesus is finished. But Jesus did not say, I am finished. See, and that's what Luke is referring to. The ministry of Jesus that he began on this earth was not finished and is still not finished and will not be finished until that day when Christ returns. The saving work of Jesus is finished, but the proclaiming work of the church was just beginning with the ascension. We proclaim what Jesus did. Another question that popped into my mind as I read this passage about the ascension is why did he wait 40 days to go back to heaven? Why didn't he just rise from the dead and keep on going? Have you ever gone somewhere that was so wonderful that you said, I can't wait to go back? I can't wait to be there again? Do you think heaven might be that kind of place? I think heaven is one of those kind of places that if you're ever there and have to leave, you can't wait to get back. Jesus had been gone from heaven for 33 years and been on this earth. And I can only imagine how much Jesus wanted to be back at his Father's side in heaven. If I'm Jesus and I've fulfilled my work on this earth and I rise from the dead, I'm just keep on going. But he didn't. The Bible says he, he delayed his ascension for 40 days. And in that passage I read, Luke gives us three good reasons why Jesus delayed his ascension. First of all, it says that he needed to make sure that his disciples were convinced he was alive. Acts 1.3 after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. What do you think would have happened had Jesus rose from the dead and just kept on going? They, they go to the tomb that first Easter morning. The stones rolled away. They go in. The empty cloth is lying there on the stone. But they never see the risen Lord. I mean, he's gone. He's gone on to heaven. Are they going to be convinced that he's alive? That he rose from the grave? Are they going to be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything that Jesus said and taught is confirmed because death could not hold him and he is alive? Are they going to go out and preach that gospel and face intense persecution and suffer uh, violent deaths at the hands of their enemies for a risen Lord they've never seen? I doubt it. As much as they would have wanted to believe, I really think they would have struggled to believe. You know, we get all over Thomas because he doubted. Thomas was the one that said, I don't believe it. I've got to see it. I've got to touch it or I won't believe it. You know what? They all struggled to believe. Thomas just had the courage to admit it. 
And Jesus knew that. He knew that he couldn't just rise from the dead and disappear. And so for 40 days, he appeared to them and gave them convincing proofs. He ate with them. He talked with them. He touched them. I mean, they had every evidence they needed to say, this man is alive. And that's why they were willing to suffer for him and to die for him because they had absolutely no doubt in their mind that he had conquered death. And because he had conquered death, they would too. Half-hearted faith would never have survived in that first century and all the persecutions they had to go through. And you know what? It won't survive today. One reason the church is struggling in the 21st century is because there are way too many people whose faith is only partially there. They're not fully convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. They're not fully convinced that he died for their sins once and for all. They're not fully convinced that he rose from the dead. They believe, sort of. But that's not going to hold up. Like those early disciples, we need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He is Lord. Second of all, he needed to prepare them for their ministry. As I said, Jesus began to teach, and now they're going to continue that teaching. It said he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He needed to complete their education. When Jesus died on the cross, they had no idea what was happening. Their whole world was turned upside down. They were confused. They were filled with doubt and fear. And now that Jesus was alive, they needed to understand what this cross was all about. Why did he die? What did he accomplish? What does it mean for us? They had to fully understand that so they could go out and proclaim it. And this was their final exam, so to speak. Jesus continued to teach them and to prepare them. He also had to correct some misunderstandings. In verse 6, said the disciples asked Jesus, At this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now that may seem like an odd question to us, but it made perfect sense to them. For centuries, they had been taught that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah would usher in a new era of the glory of Israel. Their Roman oppressors would be thrown out of their land. Israel would rise up to become the greatest kingdom on the face of the earth again, as it was in the time of David and the time of Solomon. God's people would reign supreme on this earth. That was their interpretation of all these prophecies about the Messiah. And now that Jesus had conquered death... He had been killed by the Romans and he had defied their execution by coming back again. The time was ripe for him to march into Jerusalem, for him to defy the Romans and to set up again the glory of Israel. And they thought, now, now Lord, now is it time. And during this 40 days, he gave them a, a bigger picture view of things. 
He gave them a God's eye view of things. He gave them a grander vision. He said, guys, all that I've done, all that's happened during my time on this earth, it's not just for Israel. I didn't come to restore Israel to glory. I came to redeem the whole world. I came to bring everyone into a saving relationship with me so that they can experience the glory of God together. What a grander vision. And he helped them to understand that. And that leads to the third reason he delayed his ascension. He needed to give them the plan and the strategy for fulfilling their mission. Do not leave Jerusalem, he said, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine how fired up these disciples were? Jesus is alive. For 40 days he has been among them. He has fully convinced them. He has taught them. They understand the message. They know what they are supposed to do. And the first thing he tells them to do is wait. Don't do anything. <laughs> I'm not a good waiter. <laughs> I really don't like to wait. If I get excited about something, if I get fired up about something, I want to go. I want to do. You can ask Sue, if I get it in my head that it's time for us to go buy a car, how long does it take me to buy a car? Yeah, maybe two or three. Not long. <laughs> I, I've got the idea. I know what I want to do. I go do it. I would not have been excited <laughs> if I had been one of the disciples and Jesus said, now wait. But the reason they had to wait is because they had the passion, they had the message, but they didn't have the power to do what God was calling them to do. They had to get plugged into the power, which was to receive His Holy Spirit. Have you ever had an electrical device that wouldn't work? And you flip the switches, and you push the buttons, and you bang on it a few times. You do all this stuff before it finally dawns on you to think, huh, I wonder if it's plugged in. <laughs> you know, at our house, we've got a lot of stuff that's plugged in like under things and behind things, and you can't see if it's plugged in. And it was plugged in yesterday, <laughs> so I'm assuming it's plugged in today, but mysteriously, it doesn't work. But sure enough, I check and the plugs come out. The disciples weren't plugged in yet. They had what they needed, except for the power. And so Jesus said, you wait. Now, they weren't going to have to wait long. It was ten days after the ascension that the day of Pentecost came. And that's when they received the Holy Spirit. But that was an essential part to wait. And sometimes God calls us to do that too. He puts us into a waiting period, a kind of a holding pattern. I know what you want to do, and I want you to do it. I just don't want you to do it now. You need to wait until you're ready. 
And then he gave them the strategy. When you receive power from the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I can just imagine Jesus taking a map like a general in a war room, calling around all of his commanders and taking the map and rolling it out. It's a map of the world. And taking a pen and saying, this pen is going in Jerusalem. Here's where you start, fellas. Right here. You're going to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that Holy Spirit comes, you're going to begin your mission. And then once you've preached the gospel here, you're going to move out here. And he'd draw a circle around that pen out into Judea. And then once you've preached the gospel there, you're going to go out here. And he went out through Samaria. And once you've preached it there, and he just kept drawing circles and drawing circles until eventually he encircled the entire map. He said, that's how it's going to be done. You're going to start right where you are and expand your sphere of influence from there. And that's exactly what they did. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, they poured out of the upper room into the streets of Jerusalem. They preached the gospel powerfully, and 3,000 people were saved that day. But it also ushered in a time of intense persecution. And many of them had to flee for their lives. Guess where they went? Judea. Samaria. <laughs> and on farther. And on farther. And they fulfilled Jesus' strategy of taking the gospel to the world. And the plan hasn't changed. The same plan he gave them is the same plan he gives us. When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and he enlists you in his army, he gives you the same battle plan. Start where you are. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the demon-possessed man who, who was delivered from the evil spirit by Jesus? And at the end, he wanted to go with Jesus. I want to be a disciple. And Jesus said, I got a better idea. You stay here. Start where you are. Go and tell what the Lord has done for you. Right here. That prompts me to ask myself, who in my family needs to hear about Jesus? Who among my friends do I need to share my faith with? Who of my coworkers or other kids at school? Uh, my sphere of influence, people I know. Who needs to know about Jesus? And how can I share it with them? And then how can I get involved in spreading the gospel in our community? This seven days of prayer event that's coming up next month is going to be a powerful way to do that. And we're going to start talking about that more and more uh, as we get closer to reach our community for Christ. Then how can I get involved in sharing the gospel uh, in, in my country? How can I be involved in sharing the gospel in the world? And the circle just keeps widening and widening. This plan is the same because the mission is the same. It's what he calls us to do. And then after 40 days, he's convinced them that he's alive. He's completed their education, taught them what they need to know. He's given them the plan and the strategy for fulfilling their mission. And then finally the time came for him to ascend. And I, I discovered something this time reading this scripture that I've never really noticed before. After he had said this, verse 9, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. If you had asked me to tell you 
how did Jesus ascend? I would say he ascended into the clouds. You ever watch a helium balloon that you let go? You watch it go up, and it gets smaller and smaller, and pretty soon it's just like a speck, and then disappears in the clouds. That's how I envision Jesus' ascension taking place. He just kept getting farther and farther and smaller and smaller until you couldn't see him anymore in the clouds. But that's not what it said. It said... He was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud, a cloud, hid him from their sight. He didn't descend into the clouds, the sky. He ascended into a cloud, a very specific and particular cloud that enveloped him. Then all of a sudden, the light bulb went off. I think, where have I read about a cloud in the Bible before? And all of a sudden, scripture after scripture came to mind. In the Old Testament, when God delivered his people, Israel, from Egypt, and he led them out, he led them with what? A cloud that represented his powerful presence and his glory, leading his people to freedom. When Moses got to Mount Sinai and went up to receive the Ten Commandments, how did he know God was there? A cloud descended upon the mountain. When they created the tabernacle and God wanted them to know that his presence was upon that holy place, how did they know? You're catching on. You're catching on. I thought maybe Moses made a sign that said, God is in. And then, you know, you flip it over. God's out. <laughs> you know, every Sabbath, God is in. <laughs> and as soon as Sabbath is over, God is out. Okay. Maybe that's how they knew. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he descended in the form of a cloud. And suddenly I got the picture. The glorious presence of God was symbolized to his people in a cloud. And when Jesus ascended, he ascended into a cloud. Just like the father of the prodigal son did not sit on his porch and wait for the boy to come up the driveway to greet him. He took off and ran down the road. So as Jesus went up, the heavenly father came down. And they met in the middle. Jesus ascended into the glorious presence of our heavenly father. And here's the really cool part of this story. It said, as they watched him go... Suddenly, two men dressed in white appeared with them. My first thought is, that's creepy. <laughs> I mean, you had, you're all standing here going, whoa! Well, look at that, he's a sin. Well, who are you? <laughs> Who's the dude in white? <laughs> he wasn't here a moment ago. And there's another one over there. I mean, they just, they're just there. And they said, did you see that? You see how he went? That's how he's coming back. He ascended into the cloud of the glorious presence of God. And the Bible says that someday he's coming back. And when he does, he's not going to sneak into this world through the back door like a baby in a manger like he did the first time. He's not going to come as a man at all. But he is going to return as the son of God in the glorious presence of God. He's coming back. He rose once from the grave. 
He rose a second time into the air to return to heaven. And the Bible says that he's coming back so that we too can join the ascension. Thank you.